Good morning, baseball fans, and welcome to episode 59 of the Morning Round Trip podcast here on the morning of September 7th, 2020. My name is Drew Frank, joined by my co-host Liam Crothers. Hello and good morning. And today, unfortunately, we have to report the passing of another Hall of Fame former player as Lou Brock has passed away at age 81. First ballot Hall of Famer elected in 1985, he played for 19 years, making six all-star appearances with the Cardinals, and retired with his electric speed, leaving him at number one on the all-time stolen base leaderboard with 936. Still to this day, he's second all-time, only passed by Ricky Henderson since, and remains as the National League's all-time stolen base leader. He unfortunately had all sorts of health issues throughout his life, uh, a lot of serious ones too. It's incredible what he was able to withstand after having a stroke, bone marrow cancer, diabetes that forced his leg to be amputated, and eventually heart issues, ultimately leading to him passing away yesterday at the age of 81. The news of his passing broke just before a Sunday night baseball game between the two franchises that he had called home, the Cubs and the Cardinals. Regarded as one of the most lopsided trades probably in Cubs history, the deal that saw Lou Brock head to St. Louis, Missouri. Former Cardinals catcher Tim McCarver called Lou Brock one of the toughest people that he'd ever seen. And maybe if Bob Gibson didn't play on that Cardinals team at that time, uh, he would have been the toughest man on that team and maybe even more so in the National League. Former MVP and former teammate Keith Hernandez, uh, when informed of the news, it's said that he broke down. Uh, And he he gave the quote, no one was more crucial to me at the big league level than Lou. I don't think I would have made it without him. For him to be a superstar and I, as a young kid who was struggling, to take me under his wing and offer all of his advice is a testament to who he was. He was an extraordinary man. He never babied me. If I was pouting, he'd get on me. It was tough love. So the news of his passing definitely resonating throughout the major leagues. uh, And because of the way stolen bases are now, it'll likely be that He's remembered as one of the all-time stolen base leaders for the foreseeable future and beyond that. And yesterday, around the league, we saw all sorts of injuries continue to pile in, and a lot of serious ones. The Blue Jays look like they might be without Teoscar Hernandez for the remainder of the season. He's got some kind of rib injury that we don't know exactly the seriousness of it. But the initial reports are that it might be taking him out for quite some time. He had an MRI, but there was too much swelling to even read it, which would mean it's inconclusive. But if there's that much swelling, that's probably not a great sign. They're going to try for another MRI either today or tomorrow if the swelling dies down a little bit. But potentially a a very big blow for this Jays team. Oh, yeah, for sure. Teoscar Hernandez has really sort of come out of nowhere to be the guy that's led the charge for the Jays. Uh, He's hitting 308 with a 996 OPS, and both of those marks lead the Blue Jays. So uh, losing him, uh, a guy who not only was contributing for the team, but was also contending at one point for the Major League lead in home runs, losing him for any amount of time is going to be a serious blow to your playoff hopes. Hernandez currently sitting in sole possession of third place in the MLB's home run chase. He has 14. Only Trout and Tatis have more than that at 15. No other player is at that 14 mark. 
So we'll see how long he is out for. We'll wait for news on that front. Dallas Keuchel and Matt Chapman both pulled from their games yesterday with some kind of soreness. For Keuchel, it was in his back. For Chapman, it's in his left hip. We're not sure if either of them are going to be serious, but two guys that are obviously on contenders and obviously key pieces there. Lance McCullers in that same division as Chapman actually goes to the IL. We know his neck nerve inflammation is going to force him to be sidelined for at least 10 days as Houston, a very tough weekend for them. Get another piece of bad news there. Luis Campusano, who we saw just make three major league at-bats, heads to the 10-day IL after just one game played. He's got a left wrist sprain, and maybe we'll see him a little later on. And Justin Smoke, officially released by the Milwaukee Brewers. We saw him DFA'd this past week, clearly unable to find any trades, no waiver claims, and he is now released back out into the free agent market. But I mentioned with McCullers, it was just more bad news for the Astros because they had enough bad news as it was on the field. Talked about yesterday, they blew two seventh-inning leads in the doubleheader, of course, where you're only playing seven-inning games, and that just can't happen. In doubleheaders, they let both games slip through their fingers, and yesterday, it wouldn't fare any better as they lose 9-5 to the Angels to complete a four-game sweep. The Angels were sellers at the deadline. They're a team that's not supposed to be competitive this year and not a great sign for this Astros team. Yeah, this Astros team feeling the heat on and off the field. Temperatures up near 109 degrees Fahrenheit at first pitch in this one. Uh, Definitely a hot day in Los Angeles. And you want to talk about hot. The Astros bats took an early 3-0 lead, but... Eventually, that game would be evened up 5-5. The game would start out with a two-run shot from Kyle Tucker. And then after that, an Aledmus Diaz home run would be met with a Anthony Rendon two-run shot. And then Carlos Correa hit a home run. And then after a little bit of small ball, that's where we ended up at 5-5 after seven innings. But uh, you want to talk about seven innings? Framber Valdez, after pitching seven complete innings, his stat line reads 11 hits, eight runs against, all earned. Two walks, two strikeouts, one home run allowed on 108 pitches. He surrendered 15 pieces of hard contact to Jamie Berea's three. (laughs) Uh, Dusty Baker definitely leaving Framber Valdez in maybe a little bit too long as he went out to pitch the eighth and things began to fall apart. If you're the Houston Astros, this game is disappointing. Uh, The Los Angeles Angels, like you said, were sellers at the deadline. And if you're the Astros trying to maintain your pursuit of the American League West crown. These are games you can't afford to be losing. And things started out rough in that eighth inning. It was still 5-5. This game was still within reach. Valdez was hit hard all afternoon, but then, you know, they were still in it. He comes out for that eighth. The first three guys all single. At that point, I'm, I'm, I think he's got to be out of the game. I think even after the first single, you probably lift him. He was over 100 pitches, and you've got Devensky back off the I.L., I would have gone to him earlier, but then Devensky comes in and things don't get any better. He walks the first two guys he faces. That makes it 7-5. Gives up an RBI, two RBI single to Justin Upton to make it 9-5. And things were over. Tough game for Houston, who now fall behind the Blue Jays and are the seventh seed in that American League. Another game where we saw the hits poured on was in New York, and Aaron Nola visited City Field and just didn't have a great day. This game started out 1-1 early on, as Knapp got to Grom early with a solo shot in the seconds, tied the, th- tied the game up, but then the Mets 
would score 13 runs unanswered and win this one 14-1. Decided to need to make up for some run support that DeGrom wasn't getting and figured they'd pour it on all at once. Nola, not a great day as I mentioned. It felt like every inning there was traffic on the bases. He ends up giving up eight hits and a walk over five and a third. Charged for six runs, only three of them earned. He struck out ten, but like I said, the hits were up there and it was noticeable. Got hit for two long balls and the Mets just poured on extra base hits. The difference in this one... The Mets combined for 12 extra base hits. The Phillies only had four hits total. Just a completely one side of the fair. Yep, and the Mets bats couldn't miss in this one. And Jake DeGrom was making sure that the Phillies bats were missing. Jake DeGrom goes out there and he puts up 35 swings and misses. That's the most of any pitcher since 2016. And finally, Jake DeGrom gets a little bit of run support behind him to ensure that he gets a victory in one of his most dominant starts. We mentioned on the show earlier in the week the passing of Tom Seaver, Mets franchise legend. Uh, He leads the Mets franchise in ERA against Jake DeGrom, now less than a hundredth of a point behind him. Seaver's ERA with the Mets sits at 257 and DeGrom sits at 258. So he's definitely blazing a trail for himself and putting himself in that conversation for one of the greatest Mets pitchers, if not players of all time. He goes seven innings, allows three hits, one earned run, walks two and strikes out 12. Just DeGromination all around here. And of course, when they've got a 13-run lead, this is the one game where the bullpen gives a shutout effort behind him as they come in for a scoreless 8th and ninth. But either way, the Mets, they'll take it. They get the win over the division rival and continue to stifle what was a hot Phillies team coming into that series. Finally, on Sunday Night Baseball, we saw the matchup you mentioned a little bit earlier as the Cardinals took on the Cubs at Wrigley Field. Kwang Hyun Kim was supposed to start. But, again, we mentioned got put on the IL with some sort of kidney or abdomen injury. Not exactly sure the specifics there. Hoping it's not too serious. But it was Dakota Hudson who filled in for him. And he was okay. And he ended up going a bit better than Lester. Not quite quality start territory as he goes five innings of three-run ball. Walks a couple, surrenders five hits. Not necessarily the best. It was the two home runs he would give up that would really do the damage. But he pitched better than Lester. Lester goes three and a third with five earned runs. And at that point, the five earned runs decide the game. This game ends up seven to three as two more runs would come on for the Cardinals later on. But a lot of the damage was done early on against Lester and a lot of it via the long ball. Yep, and this was definitely a Wrigley Field game at night as early on Tommy Edmond sort of popped one up into center field and the winds ended up taking it over the wall to start things out. And then the Cubs counterpunch with Anthony Rizzo going down to get one. And again, more of the same. He puts it up into the air, it finds itself in the wind, and it gets carried over the wall. And then some more home runs early on as Jason Kipnis would hit a two-run shot but this one didn't need any wind assistance. And then Paul Goldschmidt responded very quickly with a three-run home run of his own to make it 4-3 for the Cardinals, and they would not look back from there. All home runs in this game coming before the third inning was out, and the Cardinals would end up piling on in this one. John Lester doesn't put together a strong performance, and I feel like that's really been the case for him so far in the year. Three and a third innings, six hits against five earned runs, 
with two walks, four strikeouts, and the two home runs allowed. Hudson was a little bit better, goes five innings, and only allows three earned runs. Uh, Not a quality start, uh, but he didn't end up needing to put together a quality start as all nine Cardinals would reach base in this one. Uh, And just more of the same for the Cubs as their stars continue to struggle. The top five batters in that Cubs lineup go a combined three for 19 in this one. As you mentioned, just not what you need from the top of the order. After taking the opener, they've now lost three straight in this series and have a chance tonight to try and salvage the last one as they play at 4 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Another team that has struggled this past weekend, we talked about the Astros. How about the Yankees? They lose three of four to the Baltimore Orioles, and yesterday they managed to get only one hit against Dean Kramer, the starting pitcher for the Orioles. He goes six innings of one hit, one run ball, striking out seven, and things just get worse and worse for these Yankees who have now lost five in a row. We saw a couple two-home run performances from around the league. Corey Seager goes two for four with a pair of home runs, driving in three. And Randy Rosarina goes three for four, hitting two home runs, driving in two, and of course, scoring twice. And this is a guy that some people thought they might have overpaid for a little bit when they traded for him from the Cardinals, shipping away a top pitching prospect in Matt Liberator. But... He's looked really good since they've gotten him in that lineup more. I mentioned two home runs last night, and we'll see if he can continue that, but he's going to have a tough task as the Tampa Bay Rays now head to face one of the game's stronger pitching staffs, or at least front-heavy pitching staffs, and they face the brunt of it as they get Max Scherzer tonight to start their series off. They'll have the race on the mound, though, going for him as Charlie Morton toes the rubber for the Rays. That'll be tonight at 6.05 p.m. Eastern. Who do you think takes this one? Max Scherzer's been one of the strongest pitchers so far in the major leagues. The only problem is that he plays for the Washington Nationals in 2020, and they have just not produced what they needed to. And they have just not produced what they've needed to, uh, despite some pretty decent starts for Max Scherzer. Charlie Morton, on the other hand, in some limited work, he returned from the injured list last week against the Yankees. And he was okay. Uh, I don't expect him to be fully up to speed in this one. But we've talked about it on the show pretty often that the Tampa Bay Rays bullpen is more than capable of handling those extended outings. So I think the Rays will be okay in this one. I don't think they need to get to Scherzer, but they'll be able to get to the bullpen. I think the Rays are a safe bet in this one. I mean, you look at the winning percentage, they're basically opposites. You've got Nationals at a 359 versus the Rays at a 683. But for the sake of variety, I think you can never go wrong picking Max Scherzer on any given night. So I'll take the Washington Nationals because if he gives you seven strong and you can manage to get a few runs on the board, you know, any night you got Scherzer on the mound, you've got a chance. And Blue Jays and Yankees are playing, and this is a series that is going to be really interesting to watch because these two teams haven't played yet. Toronto sits one game ahead of New York with 10 head-to-head games left to play, and the Blue Jays not messing around as they send their ace to the mound tonight to start things off on the right foot. He'll go up against Jordan Montgomery tonight at another 6.30 starts. Uh, Very interesting. I I mentioned Houston slipped behind Toronto with their loss yesterday, so Toronto is now 6th in the American League. New York, they're slipping. They're only two games ahead of Baltimore and Detroit for the second wildcard spot. What do you think happens in this series, and who do you think takes the first one tonight? 
Well, the Yankees and Blue Jays haven't played meaningful games this late in the season since 2015. You remember that incredible playoff pursuit from the Toronto Blue Jays where they were able to take games off of the Yankees and put themselves in a spot to qualify for the postseason. Uh, This is going to be an interesting series. The Toronto Blue Jays pretty much hold their fate in their own hands, but the same can be said for the Yankees as these games will probably decide who makes it out of that American League East as the wild card team behind the Tampa Bay Rays. I think with Hyunjin Ryu on the mound, you can't go wrong picking him and the Blue Jays. Um, they did come off of a pretty silly series with the Red Sox where their bullpen showed signs of struggling, but I think they're going to be able to right the ship back at home. Well, the pseudo home in Buffalo. I think Ryu gives them a strong start, and I think the Jays take this one over the Yankees. And a final game we'll look at is in the Central, another 6.10 p.m. Eastern start as Brad Keller and Zach Plezak go head-to-head in the Royals-Indians series. And you've got the two teams going head-to-head that are 13th and 14th in the American League in run scoring, two offenses that haven't been clicking for the most part, and two pitchers that have looked pretty good so far this year. I'd say it should be a pretty low-scoring game, but who really knows with how volatile both of these teams have been lately. I'll go with Cleveland's, but this game could be a wild card. I think I take Cleveland in this one as well, as there have been some question marks about Jorge Soler and his status for the game. Uh, But both pitchers on the mound, you mentioned low run scoring. Um, Both of these guys have sub two ERAs and Zach Plezak making his second start since being placed on the restricted list. I think I go with the Indians in this one as well, but I think it's going to be a very, very close game. Well, that'll do it for us. Gotta mention, well we can, the only team left in the MLB undefeated in the month of September, the Seattle Mariners. Don't know how long that streak's going to continue, so here on September 7th, got to say it well we can. You can find the show on Twitter at Trip Morning, and you can find us on Instagram at Morning Round Trip. And for Drew Frank and Liam Crothers, thank you for listening, and have a great day.